So right now we have uh, teams traveling to explore a village in North India where a young woman died under very suspicious circumstances. Shortly after her death, uh, very surreal paranormal events started to happen. Looking down at the ground, it's almost as if this location has been frozen in time. It just has not moved forward with much of the rest of the world. It's a, a very poor region here in India. With that though, it's, it's a beautiful place and the people are just incredibly kind. We have been asked to conduct a research investigation looking into a young woman's death here in a village in North India. What's unique about this case is two months after this woman was possibly murdered, another woman in a village not too far away died and was revived. When this woman was revived, she claimed to be somebody completely different. In fact, she actually claimed to be this woman that was murdered and f provided facts about this case that she could not have known unless she was in fact this woman who was killed. Also supporting this case are well over 50 independent witnesses that support this woman's claims. In addition to that, this case has been researched professionally from leaders around the world in the fields of psychiatry and psychology. The results to their investigation is really fascinating and we're going to share that with you during this research investigation. Now this is a multi-part series. Uh, part one, which is what you're listening to right now, is a bonus episode. So as we move forward, we will drop new content and we really think that all of our listeners will enjoy this uh, special multi-part series. Now, these series are designed to be an immersive process where we want all of our listeners and audience to be involved uh, on our website. The link is in today's show notes. You can actually find some of the content, real photos, and the investigation board where you can help us with this research investigation. Feel free to send us an email or through one of our other communication sources, such as through Spotify, and tell us what your thoughts are with this case. Uh, so with all of that said, let's go ahead and continue to lead you into this uh, research. Using state-of-the-art science and technology, the Afterlife Podcast researches life after death, consciousness, wellness, and sustainable ways to increase longevity. We explore uncharted and mysterious cases involving UFOs and unexplainable paranormal manifestations. Here's your host, Mark DeLuca. From my time in the Marines and government, I've had the opportunity to visit different countries, and India certainly reminds me of one of those countries. Something unique with India is that it's very overpopulated. Here where we are looking right now in Delhi, which is India's capital territory, there's 18.9 million people. Just to put that into perspective with you, it's, it's an overwhelming amount of people. 
India is the second largest Muslim country. It has very deep origins to Hindu. As you walk around, there's not many women out and about, yet the women that you do see wear dupadas, which cover their head and shoulders. That's part of the Muslim culture here in India. Something else that I find is that a large majority of people that walk around here do so barefooted. Their feet are calloused and rough. Uh, the transportation actually takes place in large volumes with these back alleyways. And there's just a large volume of motorcycle traffic. You'll find uh, these three-wheeled vehicles that are basically taxis that are transporting people around. You'll also find animals pulling uh, buggies which is you know, very interesting to see. Something that is fascinating is that you will find uh, a large volume of street foods that is sold on street carts where people will actually approach the street cart, pay for the food and eat it right there um, on the street cart. There is a overwhelming amount of bazaars where people are basically selling property and uh, services or goods so that way they can uh, you know make a living as our teams made their way down to the water something that was very interesting to learn is that people from all over India and the world will actually make their way to the water to have a sacred bath and from what we've been told the sacred bath uh, basically will help ensure that they carry over into the afterlife and they're not reincarnated. That was really fascinating to me because that's actually what our research investigation entails here in uh, North India. I'd like to take you back to the scene of where this young woman's body was discovered. What I'm holding here in my hand is information that has been obtained from interviews of locals of this village. It's the morning of May 19th, 1985, and locals have just discovered a woman's body laying between two rails of a track at a railway station. The woman has an apparent injury to her head and it's clearly identified that the woman is deceased. Curiosity is an interesting thing. And very quickly, a crowd of people begin to gather around the woman's body. A man finds this interesting and approaches the crowd of people and yells out very emotionally that he is the woman's uncle and had just spoken to her the day before. He says that the woman's name is Shiva. After a few minutes, Shiva's in-laws approach the crowd and tell everybody that they had noticed that she was missing from the house and set out to search for her. They stated that they believed she had thrown herself in front of the train as in the days leading up to her death, she had been very depressed. What 
the in-laws do not know is that the day before Shiva had spoken to her uncle via phone and provided him some very interesting information that would be very beneficial to this case. Based upon that information, Shiva's uncle had a great deal of suspicion regarding her death. And because of that, he requested that her body not be cremated until he could go find Shiva's father and bring him to the village. The in-laws agreed to that, and the uncle set out to locate the father. Now, what we initially find interesting is that, as I said in the very beginning, Shiva only had a significant injury to her head. One would believe that if a person were to be hit by a train, their injuries would be more severe. In researching the train schedule, we found that from the night of May 18th to the morning of May 19th, two trains had gone through the area. Now, one would also imagine that if a body were to be hit by a train with enough force to kill the person, their body would be thrown a great distance and it would not end up back directly in the middle of the train tracks. So when the father and uncle returned to the village, they had discovered that Shiva's body had in fact been cremated. Now, again, this is interesting because the uncle specifically requested to the in-laws that her body not be cremated. Not only was the body cremated, the process was expedited by pouring fuel onto the wood to burn the body quicker. Now, as part of uh, Indian legal formality, in order for a body to be cremated, uh, five notables from the village must sign a document authorizing the cremation. What that tells us is that Shiva's in-laws were able to convince the notables to sign off and approve the cremation of her body. Now, by custom Indian tradition, newlywed couples will live with the husband's family. So in this case, Shiva lived with her in-laws. Her father describes the scene that includes a large amount of friction between Shiva and the in-laws. In several situations, the in-laws would complain when Shiva would travel to a nearby city to continue her education. The father believed that the in-laws were jealous and envious of Shiva. In one particular situation, Shiva described to her father that her mother-in-law asked her to go and kill herself and that the father-in-law actually wrote a note to Shiva's father asking that he take her back. So that tells us that the in-laws and Shiva simply did not get along. Now, 
you may be asking the same question we were initially as to what Shiva could have told her uncle the day before she died. Shiva's uncle describes talking to Shiva via phone and says that Shiva was very emotional. She was crying on the phone and told the uncle that her mother-in-law and one of her sister-in-laws had just beaten her. Now, the uncle says that at no time did he feel as though uh, Shiva had any type of uh, suicidal ideations. Now, in speaking to several of the villagers, they describe that on the night of uh, May 18th and leading into May 19th, they observed uh, the in-laws carrying Shiva's limp body to the train station nearby. And when they questioned the in-laws, they told the, the villagers asking that Shiva had fallen ill and that they were taking her to the, the train station so they could uh, travel to go see a doctor. Now, our focus of this research investigation takes us to another village in North India that is 62 miles away. And this is where we learn about another young woman by the name of Sumitra. The year is 1985. It's early in the year. And just a few months prior, Sumitra had given birth to a boy. Shortly after giving birth, Sumitra started to experience these periods where she would lose consciousness. Her eyes would basically roll to the back of her head and she would clench her teeth. These um, experiences or spells is what I will refer to them as would last anywhere from a few minutes to in some cases a full day. Now on several of these spells, Sumitra would become possessed, according to her. And during these times of possession, it almost always involved two people. The first was a woman who had drowned herself in a well, and the second was a Hindu goddess who was a protector of uh, faithful women. Now, because Sumitra continued to experience these spells, her family consulted with a local healer. And this local healer met with Sumitra on several occasions, and they were not able to cure uh, whatever was going on with Sumitra. Now, where things get very interesting is that Sumitra actually predicted that in three days' time, she would die. And on July 19, 1985, suddenly, without any notice, Sumitra lost consciousness, fell to the ground, and seemed to die. Now, no doctor was present throughout any of this. However, there were numerous witnesses around Sumitra when she lost consciousness. And they describe a scene to where Sumitra Sumitra basically falls to the ground. She is completely unconscious and unresponsive. 
the witnesses described not seeing her chest move up and down, or they did not feel any type of breath escaping from her nose and nose and mouth. So this would suggest that uh, she was not breathing. Several witnesses also identify that her face had become drained of blood, much like you would see with a dead person. Now, the accounts vary to how long Sumitra was unconscious. Some accounts state five minutes, while others suggest 15 minutes. What many of the witnesses state is that there was enough time to go by that many of the witnesses began to cry and became very emotional. Uh, again, as I said earlier, there was no doctor in or near the village. Now, this is where things take a turn and become very interesting. Again, suddenly without any type of notice, Sumitra all of, all of a sudden regained consciousness. Now, when she regained consciousness, she was not the same woman as when she died. Sumitra actually claimed to be Shiva. So what do you think? Was Shiva murdered or did she really commit suicide? In part two, we are going to continue to talk about what our research investigation has discovered. We're also going to talk about the statements that Sumitra made in regards to uh, Shiva's life. Now, we would absolutely enjoy to hear your thoughts and opinions. The link to our email is in today's show notes. Feel free to send us an email with your thoughts and opinions. Also, the link to our website where you can find actual photos of this case and the investigation board can be found within the web portal. Be sure to check that out. We hope that everybody is enjoying this special multi-part short audio series. And until next time, everyone take care and stay safe.